And so I had told my nurses when they came in, she's coming, I'm ready. And so they called down to the doctor and that man rushed. He had to get from a first floor (laughs) clinic to our delivery room and he hustled. So he got up there very quickly and he walked in the room and he was so excited. He came in with this big, happy, all right, Georgia, I'm so excited. Let's do this. Um, Let's have this baby mama. Like he was ready to be my cheerleader. And he walked in and I was in the middle of the contraction. And when it ended, he said, when you're, when you're ready, climb back in bed and let's have this baby. And I was like, (laughs) welcome to speak up for your health. I'm your host, Dr. Arkel Giorgio, and in this podcast, I have conversations with patients about how they found their voice, figured out how to advocate for themselves, and finally got the medical care they needed. My goal, to give you ideas about how to speak up the next time you're getting care. Every single minute, 267 babies are born into the world. And because of medical advances, the risk of a pregnant mom dying in the U.S. is 30 times lower today than it was in the early 1900s. But let's remember, childbirth itself is nothing new. It's not a medical diagnosis or condition. Women have been giving birth since the start of humanity, and our bodies are designed for it. That takes us to today's guest. Georgia is a 33-year-old mother of three and a labor and delivery nurse at a small rural hospital. Each of Georgia's deliveries were at the hospital where she works, and she trusted that the care she'd get there would be excellent. But she also wanted to have an experience that was a little bit different from the standard. While everyone agreed that what Georgia wanted was perfectly safe and reasonable, actually having that experience took a few tries and a lot of advocacy. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. My pleasure. Absolutely. So let's just start with the fact that you are an OB nurse in labor and delivery for the last 10 years. And I know every time I talk to you that you just love it. You just feel it in your heart. So what got you into this field of nursing? You know, funny enough, I didn't want to go into this field of nursing. (laughs) I actually started at a small rural hospital where I had done my internship and they had offered me a position right out of school. So I started on their medical surgical floor and they needed some backup in their OB department and they had offered me a position. I turned it down. They said, would you be willing to cross train and learn the area? And I said, absolutely. I want to help out. So they got me back there and I instantly fell in love with it. The passion I have for educating and empowering these moms, I had no idea that that was something that I would fall in love with. And I have had no desire to leave it ever since I stepped foot in there. That's so great. What do you love most about it? If you were to pick one thing. Oh, one thing. Um, It's empowering. It's empowering the patients. They come in with all this hopeful expectation and nervousness about becoming parents or adding to their family or getting through a really scary thing that they can't predict or have any control over. And that's terrifying for people. So just empowering them to feel confident in their own capabilities is super important to me. And I've loved doing that for all different age ranges and all different family scenarios. It's awesome. Yeah. You know, why do you think so many moms are so anxious when they walk in. Typically, they've had a nine-month experience that hopefully has been complication-free, but they come into L&D and they get really scared. Certainly, childbirth can be scary. Mm -hmm. It can be dangerous for some people. But what do you think is fueling all that anxiety? 
Well, the easy one is a fear of pain. Um, labor is not a pain-free experience, no matter how good your medications are. And I think that that is one thing that initially starts their fear, but it's a loss of control. I think that they feel out of control. They can't control their scenario. So many things can happen that they cannot predict. And so they feel like they can't plan or prepare enough for what's to come. There's nothing they can do to be totally prepared for any event or scenario. I also think there's a component where we just don't offer enough prenatal education up front about their labor experience. We're taking care of them prenatally, but not preparing them for labor the way that we could. So when it comes to control, do you think that the message to moms is, look, you really aren't in control. So you're almost more in control if you accept that. Or do you believe that moms can be in control? I do think that they can be in control. Absolutely. I think that when they come into these prenatal appointments, they're given a message of reassurance from the best intent possible. I think that their providers, whoever they're choosing to see, are trying to give them a message of we're here to support you. So you don't need to worry about it. We've got it. We're the experts. We'll take care of you. Don't stress. Instead of giving them enabling or or maybe validating their fears and helping them work through those fears through their own strengths, education and resources that they can feel more prepared for when they get there. And I do think there's also, like you said, an element of just knowing that there's only so little you can prepare for. Right. So during this last 10 years that you've been an L&D nurse, you've kept gaining more and more experience as a professional, but also as a mom that's had three of your own Mm -hmm. gorgeous daughters. (laughs) And you've learned a lot through the combination and the Venn diagram of putting those things together. And you've advocated for so many patients and you're so proud of that. But what you shared with me before this call is that you found it hard to advocate for yourself and especially during your first pregnancy. So let's start there. Sure. And with your first pregnancy, at that point, how many years of experience had you had? I had been there for two to three years. Again, we're a rural hospital, so there was only one provider, and I become very good friends with this guy. He was an excellent provider. I trusted him. I had no concerns about delivering at this hospital at all. I knew I'd be getting phenomenal nursing care. I had just finished learning enough to feel competent in most scenarios, and I was doing what I had been taught. And so when I had my first pregnancy, I knew that I wanted to try laboring without an epidural. I was not sure at all if I was capable of doing it. I had tons of self-doubt despite having helped moms through that scenario myself. And I just did not want to use an epidural if I could avoid it. And so I brought that up to my provider and my appointments. And he, in a, he thought was the most friendly, joking way. He kind of made lighthearted jokes about my desire to do that, about being one of those crazy moms. And he did not mean a single thing by that. There was no offense meant. He truly thought that these were just lighthearted jokes between two coworkers but that totally shook my confidence and made me feel like I was requesting something that was unreasonable. Is it unreasonable? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> it was, it's crazy <laughs> is that we've only been using epidurals for a certain period of time, but the majority of time we've been having babies, it's been non-medicated. It's a very reasonable thing for a patient to request support in a non-medicated delivery if that's what they want. I expected that answer from you, but <laughs> Wow. It is, it is hard to watch someone go through that pain. It is. It's super hard. And actually knowing this provider as well as I did, his biggest concern was watching people that he cared about be in what he viewed as unnecessary pain. But there's a large piece of that, that he was sort of, whether intentionally or not forgetting about, because the way our bodies were designed, the pain pathway allows you to move through labor in in different ways 
move about that allows your body to get into better positions that better facilitates an easier delivery. It can get baby into better positions to have them deliver quicker for, for many women. But whether people choose to deliver with or without medication, they should feel complete support from their providers. They should feel supported in any decision that they make, even if they are a dear friend of yours. <laughs> Georgia had another request regarding her delivery that she just didn't have the confidence to bring up. She really, really did not want to deliver her baby while lying on her back. Yes, over 90% of women deliver this way, and almost all of her own patients delivered this way too. But Georgia knew that more upright positions, like sitting, squatting, kneeling, standing, can be much more comfortable for a mom. And studies show that moms using these alternate positions have a shorter labor, less likelihood of needing a C-section, fewer vaginal tears, and less blood loss. So if there's all those advantages, why are moms instructed to lay down on their backs and deliver that way? Well, because it's easier for the health professionals to do what they need to do during the delivery, and it's how most of them have been trained. I wasn't seeing this as a common practice, so I didn't feel like I could ask for that. I wanted to labor up and moving, and that was generally viewed as kind of strange that you'd want that, but okay. But the request to deliver in anything but on my back was viewed as kind of off the charts. That was not a reasonable request. I would be putting my provider out. I'd be making them uncomfortable. Interesting. So what happened during that first delivery? Well, I had a doula with me, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made. She was incredible. We met twice prenatally and we talked about my delivery preferences and she promised to support me in anything that I wanted to do. And I was new to this. I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I'd never been on this side of the table before. So we got there. I told my provider that I'd be laboring without a girl. I came in in labor. He came in as soon as he heard I was there. He was excited for me, but he sort of teased me in a way that he thought was fun. He was not trying to discredit me or make me nervous in any way. But I was in the zone and I was in a lot of pain. So I was moving through the stages. And as we got closer to delivery, you sort of zone out. I remember not being able to really hear anything that he was saying. And I was really focused on just trying to manage each of these waves. And at one point he said, all right, it's time to get back in bed. And I couldn't do anything but what he told me to do at that point. I didn't have another ounce of mental capacity to ask for anything different. And because I didn't ask for anything different, my doula also didn't suggest anything different. What would you recommend to women who find themselves in so much pain they cannot speak up? Because this podcast is about speaking mm -hmm. up for your health, but sometimes yes. you're just not in a position to do that. Exactly. That is what I found with that time around. I, first of all, wish that I'd been more bold about stating what my preferences were ahead of time. I felt like after I'd mentioned that I wanted to labor non-medicated, the response I got made me way less vocal about the rest of my preferences. So I wish that I'd started by stating out front everything that I'd wanted so that it was clear to everybody that was going to be in the labor room. The provider, my support person is the doula and my husband. So whatever your birth support person is, whoever they are, I would start by saying, make sure that they know exactly what you want and that your desire is that they say those things when you are unable to. If you are ever in a position where you're not saying or not able to speak for yourself, that they are able to step in and say, we talked about this before when she wasn't in pain and she really wants to be allowed to deliver in a different position. So I wish that I had started by there. I've heard some people recommend that you should actually have a written birth plan that mm -hmm. you can share in writing. Do you recommend yes. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are, are really nervous about giving those birth plans. They don't want to be viewed as the crazy patient or the extremist or anything like that. 
And I will tell you that, first of all, the majority of requests that I get on those written birth requests are considered standard practice these days. We've really come a long way. And the other half is that it really allows the nurse or whoever your birth advocate is to say, this is what they asked for. It's here in her birth plan. It also gives you a foothold to offer that to your provider prenatally. So once you come into your appointments, you say, I wrote out this birth plan. I've discussed this. I've researched this. What are your thoughts? Let's talk about it. And then your provider knows right up front, this is what they want to do. So that when you are in labor and you don't have to actually find those words, this has already been laid out. That's great. Great advice. So first pregnancy, it was non-medicated, but you were on your back. Correct. Let's move on to that second pregnancy. At this point, how many (laughs) years of experience do you have at this point? Um, I've had about five to six now at this point. Okay. And this time you mentioned that you didn't have a doula. I did not. So why did you make that decision? Um, I didn't have an option. We delivered during the pandemic and they allowed only one other support person. So my husband came with, and that time I told him exactly what I wanted. I told him that I wanted to be moving around in labor. And I told him that I would like to try delivering in a different position, but that I I didn't know if my doctor friend would allow it. (laughs) That's literally what I said. I didn't know if he would be okay with it. And I didn't, I didn't want to make him uncomfortable. Again, he was a friend and the provider that I worked with, and I didn't want to put him out I was so concerned about his response and feelings during my labor. What do you think about having an OB or a doctor in general that is a friend or a colleague? Mm. For those of us who live in a clinical professional community where Mm. our friends are our colleagues, do you think it's an advantage or a disadvantage? I think that it can go both ways, truly. I have given many thoughts to how much easier it would have been if I was completely anonymous to the staff that I worked with. If I showed up to a random hospital in labor, it'd be so easy to tell them, this is what I want. They don't know me. They don't care what I say after, even if they don't agree with it. I'm not going to see him again, (laughs) but there's a huge advantage. It kind of depends on where you feel like you need more comfort. I knew my provider, so I knew exactly how he'd respond in certain emergencies. I knew the nursing staff I'd be cared for. I know how they responded in emergencies, and that gave me a great deal of comfort. Awesome. So was Taylor able to step up? How was he as your doula? You know what? This poor man, he is a computer programmer and uh, (laughs) this is not his world. (laughs) We love to joke that with our first pregnancy, he spent about nine months just getting used to the word cervix, but um, he, he was amazing. I told him what I needed. I told him this is what our doula did the first time that meant the most to me. These things were really helpful. And he came with a little notebook and he was just ready to go. So he kept track of all the times that things were changing. So what advice would you give to moms to know in advance whether or not their partner is going to be able to be as supportive as they need to be or whether or not they really need to bring someone else in? Are there any clues that a mom can have about their partner to know whether they're the right person to be their doula? I think having a really honest discussion with your partner start is the is the beginning with it, saying, this is what I want. Do you feel like you can do this or do you feel like you want someone to support you? If the partner says, yeah, I think I can say that, or yeah, that's no problem. It really just gauging their comfort level and asking them is the beginning step. If there's any question about it, I think having another voice who's unbiased in the third party is really beneficial and helpful. What do you think about family members, a sister, a mom, being that person? That can be a little bit trickier. Oh, why? (laughs) I have seen so many moms, sisters, sister-in-laws come into the room. And sometimes they take that role with a little too much vigor. They feel that they're like against the medical staff. 
And the the thing that I, I want to ward against is that your medical team should not be your enemy. You're not trying to fight them. And so some of the moms that I've seen come in as the support person have been phenomenal. And some have come in with this feeling that they have to be in charge of their daughter's progress. And that has almost hampered our ability to communicate with the mom about what she's feeling and experiencing. So you know your own family. A lot of times the mom offers some incredible support and I have seen moms come in there and just, man, they are what that patient needed to get through that last leg of the labor, medicated or not. And other times they have... um, Maybe the patient then would get really quiet and they'd stop sharing what they needed. So making sure that the family member or whoever it is that you invite a close friend is someone that you feel like is in line with your desires and will say what you want them to say. So this time, how did that delivery experience go? The labor was awesome. I felt like because I had been really confident in how I'd stated what I wanted, I got in there and my husband just stepped up. And also because I'd done this once before successfully, and I'd had the conversation with my provider friend, when he came into the room, he just waited until I said that I was ready to start pushing. He then asked me to get back in bed. And I, again, felt like that's what he wanted. There's another piece to this. I had a lack of confidence in seeing anything. I didn't want to put him out, but there's something to be said for making your provider uncomfortable in a really high stress moment. You want them to safely do their job. And if you have made them uncomfortable unintentionally, I was afraid that maybe I would impact their ability to do their job well. Does that make sense? Completely. And and it's a tight rope to walk. Yeah. I think a lot of OBGYNs today have been trained Western medicine to, they they have lost the art of um, delivering in different positions, even though this is something that midwives are still being currently trained in. They have been trained to handle high risk medical emergencies very quickly. And the position that they're trained to handle these emergencies from is from their back, from that position. And so this is their comfort zone. It's what they've been trained to do and putting them into different positions makes them uncomfortable because they're like, well, what do I do in these scenarios now? I think that a lot of them are even unaware that they have this aversion to a different position for delivery. Georgia, in our pre-call, you said something that I can't forget hearing from you. And that's that asking women to be in stirrups and delivering in stirrups is like a form of restraint. Yes. I cannot unhear you. Yeah. I had been listening to a presentation by Mandy Irby, who spoke at a conference, and she wow, she, she was the one who stated that. And that was her statement that women who are asked to be in stirrups or on their back, any position that you put a mom in that they cannot get out of on their own is a form of restraint. So if you are asking a mom to get on her back and put her feet up on pedals or in stirrups or asking other staff members to hold their legs back for them, and they cannot get out of that position on their own at their will, they are now in a, in a form of restraint. So you are restraining a woman from moving the way her body is telling her to move. There have been other studies done where they have tried to figure out what is the best delivery position. And in those studies, they found that it was the one that the mom said felt best to her. That was the position that the baby delivered best in. Moms are built to deliver babies. I think a lot of providers forget that this is not a medical condition. This is a natural state that we get into when we become pregnant and our bodies frequently know exactly what they need to do. There's obviously safety concerns in some areas, but moving the way that we are feeling is is best for us is the way that we should be allowed to move. And yeah. if we're being prevented from doing that, we are being restrained. I still will never be able to unhear that. 
So we're going to go to pregnancy number three. And at this point, you have about nine years under your belt with experience. Yep. And Actually, yeah, 10, go ahead, 10, 10 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and I think you had also received advanced training yourself, training mm-hmm. and education and how to help pregnant women use their body to help them deliver. So could you give me an example of that? I took these extra courses as I started to hear about them and learn about them from other birth workers that really talked about using your anatomy to help baby come down when they're fixed in different positions and getting kind of hung up the wrong way. We can just use, say, peanut balls or different hands and knees positions, standing, lunging. We can use all sorts of different positions that alter the shape of your pelvis to help baby move down better and have a better delivery. And with this third pregnancy, there was also something new. In addition to your experience, in addition Mm -hmm. to the longer time you had being an OB nurse, and that's you had a new doctor and you had a midwife. Yes. The OBGYN provider that I'd worked with, he no longer worked there, and which was a bummer. I, I miss working with him dearly. Again, there were no hard feelings with any of this, but he was gone. We have three OBGYNs and we have a midwife. And we have been waiting years to get a midwife at our facility. And we were thrilled. We were very close working on the floor. And I really come to respect her practice. And I come to watch her encourage and offer moms without them even asking. And that is the clarifying point, how they wanted to deliver. What are your delivery preferences? And if they said, well, I I don't know, whatever you recommend, which is frequently what moms say, she would start to lay out all the different options they had. She didn't say hands and knees is best. She didn't say I'd prefer if you were on your back. She laid out all of her options. And I loved that. I wanted that for my delivery. At this point, I have certifications under my belt. I've taken personalized training. I've now helped moms into different positions and advocated to our own doctors that moms wanted to deliver in a different position. That is not the vast majority of moms, so it's not a super common thing, but I'd done it. And I'd also talked to moms prenatally about some of their concerns and talking to their doctors. And I'd given them advice on how to speak to their physicians in a respectful way and to maintain really good teamwork. And after speaking with my midwife, I was so thrilled that this was the first time I didn't feel like I had to advocate for myself. I just knew, and we had talked about that she would help me. She always would joke that if I wanted to deliver upside down, she'd stand on her head to help me. So she just wanted to support me in whatever way I wanted to be supported. And what about the new OB that you had a relationship with? How did that go? Yeah. So I saw my midwife through 36 weeks. And the only reason I stopped was because she got pulled to another facility. She got pulled down to another one of our facilities that had a much higher volume than our rural hospital, and they had a really high need for her there. It was a huge bummer to me. I felt like crushing weight over this because I I finally had this whole labor and delivery planned out, even though I should know better. <laughs> you can't plan that stuff out perfectly. So I told my midwife my concerns and fears about that, and we wrote up my birth and delivery preferences in a prenatal note at my last visit with her. So at my first visit with our OBGYN, He had my note pulled up and we discussed that. I was 38 weeks. He started by just a warm welcome. He involved my husband in so many different things and feeling the baby. And it was wonderful. It was a great appointment. So at the appointment, he asked, is there anything else that you want to cover? And I told him, yes, I just wanted to go over my delivery preferences. And he said, yes, yes. I saw the midwife's note. Absolutely. Everything sounds great. And I said, okay, so it's okay for me to, you know, you understand that I want to move around in labor. I want minimal monitoring and that I would like to deliver in a different position during the second stage. And I used medical terms so that he would understood there'd be <laughs> no miscommunication about what I wanted. And he said, yeah, absolutely. That, that sounds fine. You've had an uncomplicated pregnancy. You obviously know what you're doing. That sounds great. 
And I was in shock. I fully expected him. I was so prepared for him to say, "Eh, we'll see when we get there. And he didn't. He agreed to it. And he walked out. And my husband was like, see, you're worried for nothing. And I was like, I guess I did. (laughs) And then how did that delivery go? My labor picked up very quickly on its own, which was wonderful. I felt confident again. I started moving through the process like I knew. My husband jumped in. I told him before exactly what I wanted. So I was jamming to my music and he was helping me through all these different birth positions. My water broke. It went very fast. I'm talking two and a half hours from the time my labor contraction started to the time my daughter was delivered. And our provider was downstairs in clinic and he knew that I had faster deliveries. So when I said to my nurses that the baby, I I feel like she's coming, I had already tried out hands and knees position. It was horrible. I hated it. It didn't feel good. (laughs) I tried squatting. My legs were shaking so hard. I could not support myself. I tried leaning on my husband. That didn't feel good either. So the bed raised up. I was leaning across it and that felt good. I had support underneath me and that is where I was staying. And so I had told my nurses when they came in, she's coming, I'm ready. And so they called down to the doctor and that man rushed. He had to get from a first floor (laughs) clinic to our delivery room and he hustled. So he got up there very quickly and he walked in the room and he was so excited. He came in with this big, happy, all right, Georgia, I'm so excited. Let's do this. Let's have this baby mama. Like he was ready to be my cheerleader. And he walked in and I was in the middle of the contraction. And when it ended, he said, when you're, when you're ready, climb back in bed and let's have this baby. And I was like, oh no. We've discussed this like two to three times at this point. And he still said, time to get back in bed. And he clearly meant nothing by it. He was all joy. And I was shaking at this point. The thing is, is that when you are in this transition period, when your baby is about to come out, there is nothing that you can do to focus on the world outside you. You are completely inwardly focused. And I remember saying something like, I don't think I can. And I, I mean, I am breathing through these. And then my nurse friend next to me said, she's having a standing delivery. She's going to stand. She's not getting back in bed. And I felt so thankful and encouraged by that statement. I didn't have to find any more words within me. She had it. So I went back to focusing on the next wave that was about to hit me. And that was the baby coming out. So the doctor that was helping me stood in the room and he was in shock. He was silent. He stood there with like his mouth open. He didn't like know what he was supposed to do. He had just never been in this position before. So I'm standing. He didn't know where to go. And I said, she's coming. And my nurse friend standing next to me looked at the doctor who wasn't moving and got down on her hands and knees to catch the baby. And that seemed to jog his memory enough to kind of move. As my baby started delivering, he lunged forward onto one knee and caught her perfectly. Uh, But then he just stood there. He didn't know what to do after that. So he just waited. He sort of lost his voice in a way. He wasn't sure what he should direct now because he'd never been in this position. He didn't know how to hand the baby to me. He didn't know how to get the umbilical cord out of the way of my legs. And so I sort of just took over. I gave the directions that I wanted. I'm going to turn around and sit down and then I'll, you can hand the baby to me and I'll climb back in bed and you can do whatever repairs are needed. And he just waited for me to do that. Just wow. (laughs) Just wow. (laughs) Georgia, first of all, congratulations on your strength your healthy baby, of course. Yeah. How do you do this if you're not an OB nurse? I mean, part of why you wanted to share this story is mm-hmm. to tell other moms that they can do this too. But, mm-hmm. you know, very few people are an OB nurse. What, what mm-hmm. recommendations do you have? 
if my midwife had not left, I would have had the perfect provider. But I think finding a provider initially that you can stick with that is willing to support you in any scenario is the first most important piece. You will know when you start to meet with them for your prenatal visits, if they are giving you biased advice or if they're giving you advice that's very one-sided or if they're presenting with a range of options and asking what sounds good to you. So finding a provider that will support you is the most important. And then as we talked about earlier, laying out your preferences ahead of time, being really confident in what you want. The only time that a provider in the medical field should be changing what you were desiring was if you're at risk for something. They should be coming alongside you to help you have your baby, not tell you how to have your baby. So they should only be making recommendations to change if there's a safety issue, really. I also think that nurses are a huge advocate and we want to support you. So telling your nurses on admission, this is what I want before the labor gets intense and you can't talk anymore. This is how I want it to deliver. I do not want to be in bed. I do not want this. I don't want to use Pitocin. I don't want to, whatever it may be. Utilize your nursing staff. One of the things I try to do to help people advocate for themselves is giving them the words to use because they don't always know. You know all the medical words. Do you think that it would be helpful if people said to a provider who was making a recommendation, is this a safety issue or is this your personal preference? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can say that. I think people are so nervous to bring these things up and ruin the rapport of someone who's going to be delivering their baby. It's a really raw, intimate moment. And so you really want to be able to have a good relationship with the person doing this. But you can say those things in a very honest, friendly, compassionate way. I hear you saying that, but is this a safety concern that you have for me? Or is this just something that that you're used to doing? And it also doesn't put the mom in the position of assuming clinical knowledge that she doesn't necessarily have. Absolutely. And there has to be trust that they're going to answer you honestly. Is it a safety issue or is it a preference issue? Yes. Awesome. That's just awesome. Yeah. So, Georgia, I'm so happy for you. You finally got the delivery you wanted. (laughs) So through all of that, how are you different as an OB nurse than you were before your third? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. I mentioned when we talked about this before how frustrated and almost ashamed I was that I had such a hard time stating my own desires to a team of people who I trusted But I also was knowledgeable. I understood what I was asking for. They weren't unreasonable requests. And I was still so scared to ask for it or that I would ask for it. And my wishes wouldn't be honored when I was not able to request them myself in the middle of labor where I was in pain. Yeah. So I would say that making sure as a nurse that before the mom gets to that stage of labor, that I truly understand what they want and how much they want me to push for them is the first part. And then also I have a much healthier appreciation for what they may not be requesting. So the questions that I ask my patients are going to change now that I have experienced so much difficulty in asking for things that I myself want. Wow. Well, the hospital that you work at and the patients that you serve are so blessed, so fortunate to have you by their side as their advocate, as their nurse. Congratulations. And thank you so much for sharing your story as a patient, as a provider. And I'm sure that a lot of moms will get a lot of encouragement from what you had to share. Georgia's story shows that sometimes the standard or conventional approach in healthcare may not reflect the most current recommended approach. When I did some independent research on Georgia's requests, I learned that guidelines from the OBGYN Specialty Society and the World Health Organization 
say that doctors should encourage and support the birthing mom to be in a delivery position that is most comfortable for the mom. So Georgia wasn't unreasonable at all. She was asking for the right care. And yet it was so hard for her to speak up, even though she's a trained medical professional. And it was impossible when she was in pain. So whether you're having a baby or another upcoming health situation, the key takeaway is state your preferences early and clearly. First, write them down and make three copies of that document. Give one to your doctor, discuss it with them, and ask them to scan the document into your electronic medical record. Give one to your personal advocate, the family member, friend, spouse, who's comfortable speaking up for you and reinforcing your preferences if you run out of steam and can't speak up for yourself. And give one to your hospital nurse. Explain it and have them tape it up next to the whiteboard in your hospital room. Second, if your doctor disagrees or wants to use a different approach, ask them, is this a safety issue or a personal preference issue for you? Obviously, if they have safety concerns, you should hear them out. But if it's just their preference, then find the common ground you can agree on so you're both comfortable. And third, use the nurses as your advocates. They are there for you and strongly influence how your doctor approaches your care. Thank you for listening in to this episode of Speak Up For Your Health. If you enjoyed it, I hope you leave a rating and review, recommend this podcast to friends and family, and share the link on social media. If you have your own story about finding your voice and advocating for yourself, share it with me. I'd love to hear it. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. Speak Up For Your Health is produced and edited by Jenny Lee Park and myself, Music is by Alex Tepper. Cover art is by Sean Sutton. Marketing and social media is by Shelby Epstein.